Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America? The land of the free and the home of the brave. Wake up, America. Wake up. The political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we're exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country as divided as the United States has become these days. I'm Van Jones, and I really think it's hard to overstate how critical it is for us to pay attention to the looming climate crisis. There's a divide here on the climate crisis that we don't talk about enough. It's not the left-right divide. It's the young-old divide on this thing. There is an urgency to this discussion about climate change that I think hits young people differently. When you hear people say, well, the effects of climate change won't kick in until, you know, 2050, like that's very far away. You got to remember, young people hear that and think, I'm going to be middle-aged then. I'm still going to be quite alive in 2050. And so the prospect, just the prospect of the earth being possibly unlivable in 20 or 30 years strikes fear into their hearts, a lot of them, in a way it just doesn't for older generations, including my own. But it also means that young people are often at the forefront of movements to try to fix climate change. They're often pushing for bold solutions, innovative solutions that may be weird to older people or that we're just not even talking about. And I especially felt that last November. I went to COP26, which is this big climate conference. People were there from all around the world. And of all the people I talked to, the voices that struck me the most were the young people I was talking to. And I want you to hear from a few of them. I'm going to bring you five different conversations I had with very impressive young people who are at the forefront of the climate conversation. I talked to Jerome Foster. He is the youngest ever White House climate advisor at 19 years old. He's advising the White House. Uh, I talked to Kevin Patel, who's working to make climate justice intersectional, as he calls it. I also talked to Shante Harris, who's using venture capital and technology to fight for the planet. I talked to Alexandria Villasenor. Now, she leads strikes for climate justice, and she's only 16 years old. And then I also talked to Kevin Mtai. He's a young man who grew up in a slum in Kenya who dropped out of medical school so he could become a climate activist. Now, look, climate change is sometimes seen as this left-wing issue. And a lot of the young people I talk to are progressive. But even if you're a conservative, I think you're going to agree that the quality and the passion and the authenticity coming from these young people is really impressive. And probably your own uh, kids, grandkids, nieces and nephews might think about these issues of climate change uh, more than you do or differently than you do. So these interviews are going to give you some real useful insights, no matter what end of the political spectrum you sit on. So please stay tuned to hear from these inspirational young people, this rising generation, right after this break. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. My name is Jerome Foster II. I'm 19 years old and I'm a White House Climate Advisor and also Executive Director of many different organizations. And I'm excited to be here today. When you say the executive director of many organizations, like how many? Um, three organizations in particular. Well, where um, are they? So it's one is called Wake Up. Um, I just launched it, um, announced it in the last couple of weeks. It works on water accountability for frontline water protectors and indigenous peoples. Also, One Million of Us, which worked to mobilize one million young people to register and vote in the 2020 election. And um, The Climate Reporter, which focuses on climate justice media and how we cover the climate crisis. How did you get the job at the White House? I founded One Million of Us, and we got, as I said, a million youth to, to turn out and vote. And in the 2020 election, Biden saw that young people made up one in every five vote. Young people, literally young people, made this election, and we elected Biden. So as a re- response, we said, we need to be at the table. If we elected you here, we need our voices to actually be heard. So I was elected as the first Gen Z member as a part of the White House, and now I'm working on the Environmental Justice Advisory Council, um, and we help to write executive orders, help to draft um, the budget around the Justice 40 initiative, where 40% of federal budget is allocated for environmental justice in disadvantaged communities. So you're the first uh, Gen Z person selected to be uh, at the White House level. What is it like to be the youngest person in the room, sometimes half as old as other people are, or even less than half as old? What's a good part about that experience? What's the bad part? Um, the bad part about being a young person is oftentimes they don't take you seriously and they think that it's a symbolic role. And a lot of reporters thought that. It was like, oh, you're gonna, you're just here to, to check a box. And that's the bad part of it is they don't take you seriously. But being inside the White House, the good part is that no one didn't take me seriously when I got into the room after I articulated why I'm there. And after I had discussions, really what helped is my perspective on longevity of solutions and not just a short-term focus because a lot of politicians and people that work in the White House have a four-year time span, an eight-year time span. But when we talk about carbon removal technologies, we talk about storing it in soils. And as a young person, I see that and say, well, what if that seeps through the soil? And that's actually been proven that that happens. And they're like, oh, we didn't think of that aspect of it. As a young person, I think about the longevity and think about decades to come. As I grow into adulthood, 
I'll still be here and I'll still be inheriting those solutions and those recommendations that we make. A lot of people who are a part of the Uncommon Ground listening community for this podcast are probably not 19, probably closer to my age. I'm in my 50s. I wonder what you want them to know. I think that there's two things that people can do that are around my dad's age because you're the same age as my dad. It would be one to actively invest in young people in our organizations. And two is to actively make sure that you're either stepping up or stepping down. When we're talking about elected officials and talking about people in business, you have to actively not just focus on eternal economic growth, but focus on development, focus on actually making sure that your business or your organization is doing good for people and not just creating a product and that's it. We have to think about the whole life scale of a product and think about how our economics must live in tune with nature and not be at odds with it. That's the evolution that's needed for adults to understand is that nature is not something that we're looking at from the outside. We are nature and every product that we make goes back into nature. So you're responsible for the production of it all the way until where it lies in the ground or in the ocean. That's what change has to happen in that mindset. It's a revolution of consciousness. Um, Absolutely. I often feel like we're at a real crossroads where you're going to have a new dark ages or a new enlightenment. That new enlightenment would have to be about creating a, a new human civilization that's more at peace with itself and with the earth. And that's really, I think, the calling of your generation is to figure out how do you have a, a human civilization that functions in that way? With the industrial process, you take living stuff, turn it into dead products, put it in the ground or put it in the incinerator, throw it in the ocean and do it again. Well, surprise, surprise, you keep taking living things and turning them into dead products and trash. Pretty soon you've got a dead trash planet. You guys are saying, no, no, we're not going to do it that way. We want to take living things and when we get done with our process, have more living things. Now, that's a revolution. Do you feel like a revolutionary? It's definitely a revolution and, and also an evolution of thought and a re revolution in how our economic, socioeconomics works. Because I think right now, being at COP26 and seeing what solutions are being brought up, it sucked in the idea that in order for us to get out of the climate crisis, we have to use the same tools that got us here. But I think that really what we're asking for as a youth movement is to decolonize how we think about the climate crisis and really get to the root of what climate justice actually means. Climate change is not just about the Industrial Revolution. It's about the start of extractivist mindset and the start of, of colonialism in the, the framework in which you can extract people and communities. And that was how we came up with the racist framework. And now as we go to environmental justice, it's about the extraction of nature. There's an immediate through line for both of those conversations. And that's what's deeper about what the environmental movement is fighting for, is fighting for the foundations of our society to actually be in line with empowering communities at an economic level and getting away with the, the, from the models that use GDP that don't include social or natural capital, but actually create new models that, that are in line with our values and aren't just amorphous ideas that we don't really put into action. I wonder, in addition to thinking about ecological stuff and social stuff, just as a person, what are you learning? Are there things that you've seen or observed in the process of electing a president and now serving a president that you want your peers to know? I think that something that I've learned in this time frame being around seven months here, I've learned that policy is oftentimes just compromise. And the reason why we haven't made so much progress is because people don't really have the right people in office. There's just a few people that are continuing to withhold and continuing to hold, hold captive our democracy. And if we want real change, we got to vote new people in. That's the real thing that I've noticed from the inside. And also is that we have to move fast. Like 
if you have a majority in the Senate and Congress and in the White House, we can't act softly and be just timid in how we act. We have to be bold. We have to be courageous because people are bold and courageous enough to vote for us, to be here. Now we have to use that same power to actually do what they wanted us to do. Well, um, what do your parents think about you? Um, my parents are just saying, keep going. I just got here. Like, this is not the end. This isn't the middle. This is just the beginning of what I want to do. Because in the grand scope of things, the, emissions, the CO2 emissions curve has not gone down. So we've made very little progress in what we actually fight for. So just the beginning, and we have to actually make this, this moment that we're in, this transitional period, be as powerful as possible. Uh, what advice do you have to other activists who might just be getting started, just really, really realizing that there is something to fight for? I think that for my generation, there's a feeling of oftentimes just anxiety and hopelessness and frustration at the system. And I think I would tell any young person that's listening or, or reading the transcript of this is to know that you're powerful and know that every time you walk into a room, you're representing the future and you're representing justice because we're not here to make money. We're not here to, to sell a product. We're here to fight for our lives and fight for our future. And that's what we have to remember is not to be nervous but to embody the fact that we're the guardians of the future and we have to advance justice wherever we can. My name is Kevin J. Patel. I'm a 21-year-old climate justice activist from Los Angeles, California. I've been doing this work for over 10 years and the intersections of making sure that people understand that it's not just about climate change. It's about health justice, gender justice. It's about all of these other social justice issues intertwined with climate change and the root cause of climate change is the systems of repression. I'm the founder and executive director of One Up Action International, an organization that supports and amplifies marginalized young people and just young people in general and helping them with monetary aid, resources in the sense of toolkits, guidebooks, connections, you name anything that follows under the category of resources to implement their solutions to help them make impact in their communities. So you're here at COP. Mm -hmm. For this one in particular, what's been good and what's been bad about COP26 from your point of view? You know, what's been good is seeing all the young leaders. We all come from different identities, different realities, different shoes, different places all around the world. And being able to connect in Glasgow at COP26 has been the most you know amazing experience for me to see all these young people from the global south to the global north to just so many different places coming together with a common goal of standing in solidarity for climate action, to fight for bold, decisive climate action. Now, what has been bad is that, and this is something, a term that has been going around, youth washing, how young people have been used as the front saying that young people, of course, were invited to the tables that were listened to. But are we truly listened to? Are we truly at the tables? Are we able to go into the negotiations? Are we able to make the decisions on behalf of our com communities, our countries? I think that's where COP26 fails. And when I mean fails, they did horrible. Why do you say horrible? Why do I say horrible? It's because quite a lot of young people, especially indigenous youth, uh, the Global South youth have not been at those tables, have not have been left out of the decision making tables, have been left out of the negotiations, because in order to go into negotiations, you need to get a ticket. And fairly enough, there's not enough tickets to go around. You know, 
where do you think power comes from? In other words, it seems to me that the young people want a seat at the table, and then when they get to see the table, they want to be heard, and then when they get heard, they basically want people just to do what they said, which is kind of unrealistic. It is. In that there's people who are here who have global corporations, and people here who have billions of dollars, people here who are elected officials, people here who are prime ministers. You guys are here. You're young and passionate. How realistic is it that you're going to come here and get access to everything? Everybody's going to do what you say. Like, does that conform to your view of how power works? You know, I think the word power, right, in the context of power, what does power look like? Who has the power? These world leaders have the power. They were in, in Rome. I was in Rome for G20 as well, t- speaking at the Global Progress Summit. One of the things, one of the photos, the memes going around where world leaders are standing in front of the Trevi Fountain, throwing a coin, wishing for climate action. Those world leaders have the power to act on climate. We as young people are merely here to say there's an urgency to action. The action that they're putting forward, the commitments, the pledges, the targets that they have set forward are not ambitious enough. The solutions that they're setting forward, a lot of them are coming from young people, but we're not seeing it implemented. The solutions are there, and we're tired of hearing the same discussions on the solutions that already exist. So start implementing them. And what power looks like to me is the ability to have world leaders and politicians understand that we're coming from the perspective that obviously you have lived your lives, but we are barely going to begin living our lives. And the next generations are going to be coming into this world, seeing the devastating impacts that older generations have left for us. The power for me is the power in youth and our voices and how we're able to utilize our voices. Look, I, I think it's you know fantastic that younger people are here and people of color are here mm-hmm. and should be here in larger numbers and should be taken very seriously. I just think that as you go through this process of rising as a generation and coming up with your own stuff and just doing it with nobody's permission, your own you know <laughs> uh, projects, your own programs, your own initiatives. Well, we can do that. Hmm? We can do that. You know, I think right now, I think we need to understand that this movement needs to be intergenerational working with younger people, older people, and in the between, right? We need to be intergenerational and stand in solidarity, understand that we need to open our hearts and act. And that's from Elizabeth, who gave an amazing speech at the UN. She said, open your hearts, understand where we're coming from, understand where biodiversity is coming from, understand where the most marginalized communities are coming from. And then we're able to really stand in solidarity and say, this is not only a youth movement pushing for climate, but this is everyone's movement pushing for climate. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I guess what I was trying to say is that, um, you know, as your generation rises, you're going to develop better capacity to push people who are in office to do the right thing. As you protest more, as you vote more, you're going to have your own independent projects, some underfunded, some might ultimately wind up being well-funded, but you're going to ultimately have to deal with power. Mm-hmm. Um, power is the capacity to make somebody say yes when they want to say no. Yeah. Power is the ability to wrap, in other words, yeah. reward and punish. That capacity to compel someone to do something that they don't want to do. Right now, your toolbox is relatively limited. It is protesting. It is raising your voices. It is showing up. But over time, as consumers, you guys have a tremendous amount of power potentially. Uh, as voters, uh, you have power potentially. As office holders, I just think that no generation's ever had to put together 
the kind of machinery for change that you guys have to put together. Yeah. It's not, it's not a just machinery to, to push people who have power. You want to take some of that power onto your own backs and do the stuff yourself. You yeah. want to build your own companies. You're going to want to build your own political parties or parties inside of those parties. You're at the beginning of a very long process, um, unprecedented in human history, of you know, creating a machine, an ecosystem of change. And the more you're just thinking about that, whenever you show up someplace and you don't get your way, it's because you didn't have enough power. Yeah. You can say it's because the other people are old and stupid. They're probably going to stay old and stupid. But you really can't change the other party's understanding or willingness until you change your own capacity. Mm-hmm. And so that's what I think people aren't telling the young people. I'm just talking to you straight. Yeah. Like I think people, no, I love that. people are telling young people, hey, you guys are great. Keep doing what you're doing. I'm saying you're great. Do something different. You want the old folk to do something different? You, okay. guys, you guys should come, come back next year and say, yeah. we, we, we are now prepared to move 200 million votes globally. That's exactly what we're doing. We're taking back the power. I think, you know, not only by voting, not only by being consumers, we're, you know, we're changing the future at this. Our generation is already making the change and taking the power for ourselves and saying, guess what? We're not powerless. We have the power. And the, the notion that leaders have been spreading that we are the future of tomorrow, right? The future generations of tomorrow. I say that's false. We're not just the future of tomorrow. We're the future of today. We're the world leaders of today. We're the, the entrepreneurs. We're the change makers, the activists, the politicians, anything you can think of, of today. And so it's just about making sure that we have the agency to do so. Hi, I'm Shante Harris. I'm 28 years old, and I'm originally from West Orange, New Jersey. I currently live in New York City, and I'm here representing uh, Venture for Climate Tech, which is an early-stage climate tech venture studio, as well as a global collective that I started a few years back called Wokesis for women of color working in sustainability across the globe. Can you give me an example of somebody you've helped that you thought was amazing? One of our founders, Sean, who uh, was an early stage startup, essentially came to my team and I and said, hey, I want to figure out how do you take the carbon offsets market and make it tangible. Mm -hmm. And this was years ago. So I think he was a bit early because now (laughs) everyone's talking about it. But when he was doing it, it was really, you know, innovative to say, hey, we've had this carbon offsets market, but nobody really knows how we're measuring impact. And so what he was doing was creating a unique algorithm that could take the carbon offsets market that he had valued validated through various providers and turn that into local green infrastructure projects. So as best I can tell, you met a guy who was trying to take the fact that companies were going to have to spend some money on reducing the amount of carbon pollution they're putting in the air. And he said that money could actually be helpful in communities, but it's hard to figure that out. What did that guy wind up doing that helped people? Um, he ended up installing a lot of trees and areas in New York that are deeply impacted by asthma. They also are deeply impacted by heat islands, which essentially means that, you know, a lot of the pollution and a lot of the experiences around the climate crisis disproportionately impact communities of color. And our thought was, hey, if you partner with an organization that can actually show the value of what the carbon offset is doing in a local way, uh, we can actually prove that there's not only a real story behind this, but there's real impact in terms of the communities that are being uh, impacted on a day to day. And so uh, really what we did was look at a way to build a partnership with corporates and with you know, local organizations and create a better quality of life for community. How did you find yourself in the position that you're in. You're an African-American woman. You're very young, still in your, your mid-20s. And yet you're 
helping to create innovation and impact and moving capital around. Just get a little bit of your superhero origin story so other people who want to be like you can follow your path. Yeah, my superhero origin story starts from my grandmother, who um, is an incredible woman and was a civil rights activist. So I tell people I grew up hearing stories of her courage, and it was never a second guess to me that anything I did with my career would be in service of others. My father is a firefighter, so is my uncle. My mom was a medical assistant and caretaker. And so I think I always knew that I wanted to have impact. I certainly did not think I'd be in tech or investment. I did not think I'd be running a venture studio or having any of these conversations. I actually started my career during the Obama administration, launching national issue-based campaigns with youth activists, working for one of the only women-owned fundraising boutique firms in D.C. I saw that private sector had an influence, and I didn't want to ignore that. And so I actually ended up being recruited by a man who made me laugh (laughs) a lot. And I'd say that's one of the reasons why I went to go work for him. His name's Tom Gray. He's from Ohio. We had such incredible dialogue about rural communities and urban communities and sort of what's needed to drive economic opportunity. And I joined and launched our first uh, tech and innovation practice and then our first climate and sustainability practice. I I just don't think a lot of people know there are young Black women like you (laughs) who have figured out how to be a part of government solutions, technology solutions, finance solutions, <laughs> community solutions. I mean, this is these stories are just not getting told enough. And because, and I, and I think that one of the things that I'm seeing more and more is the solutions are there, but the connections are not. And so people who have the mind to be able to, to weave things together and pull people together and get the best out of this and the best out of that and translate, and that's disproportionately young people and young women and young women of color in particular. And so it's really not bullshit to say that young women can save the world. You guys are doing it, but the narrative is like completely blind to what you're doing. Um, and, I, and actually, actually, our organization needs your help. So you actually just got a client out of this. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not joking. Uh, yeah, no, we have, we have, we have uh, a huge need for what you're doing. Next, we're going to hear from a young woman whose advocacy is so powerful It actually moved her grandfather to do something very, very unusual. Stay tuned for that right after this break. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. On the Nintendo Switch system, there's so many worlds you can explore. Like Hyrule, where I can fight enemies and save the kingdom with Link. (laughs) That sounds adventurous. Or my very own island in Animal Crossing New Horizons, where I can fish whenever I want. Whoa, look at the size of that thing. You can find even more worlds to explore on the Nintendo Switch system. Games rated E to E10+. Games and systems sold separately.
My name is Alexandra Villasenor. I'm a 16-year-old climate activist, and I'm from New York City. I got involved in climate activism about three years ago when I was 13, and it happened after a trip back to my hometown in Northern California. I was there when the campfire happened in Paradise, California. And so at the time, that was one of California's worst wildfires in its history and the most destructive one. It ended up blanketing the entire area in thick, unbreathable smoke. And there was also a very much lack of education back then about how to keep yourself safe from wildfire smoke. And so even now, there's still not as much information as needed. But I have asthma and it was a very scary experience. And after that trip, I was very upset because that was my hometown. Everything that I loved was there. And so I started researching about wildfires and I started to see the connection between climate change and California's wildfires. And that really made me want to do something. And so I decided to take all of the climate anxiety and eco grief I was feeling about what was happening to my hometown and the planet. And I decided to turn it into action by going and striking in front of the United Nations on December 14th of 2018 and joining the Fridays for Future movement. And I ended up striking every single Friday all the way up until the beginning of the pandemic. And after that strike, I got connected with activists. I started Earth Uprising International. And Earth Uprising focuses on peer-to-peer climate education to empower other young people to also take action. The reason why I wanted to start Earth Uprising was because I found out just how much lack of climate education there is out there. And there's so many young people who don't know what's happening to our planet because a lot of times in school, the most you really learn is reduce, reuse, recycle. And so it's like we're being taught up to be good consumers, taught up to stay in the system that we're in, and like the planet that we have is going to be the same one in the future. And so it's important that young people are taught what's happening to our planet so that they can also get involved and do something about it. And so focusing on educating young people so they feel like they can go out and do something and take action because they're educated and they know what needs to happen. So how do you get it to do this? I mean, explain to me, like you see a school teacher like on the street and say, I want to come in your building and talk to kids. Like, how did you even get the right to do all this stuff? Uh, It's not necessarily me doing it. Mm -hmm. It's putting together the resources for young people to take it into their own schools. And there's also a lot of teachers who want to teach climate change, but they don't necessarily know where to find the resources or the information. So making it accessible for them to take the information themselves. Give me an example of like a a teacher. You must have a teacher in your mind right now who's using your stuff. Yeah, there's a teacher who actually, I did a live stream yesterday on The Guardian Live, like with Louisa Neubauer, and a teacher actually commented in the chat, how can we educate my students? I'm a teacher in California, and I want to be able to educate my students. And I was like, go to Earth Uprising, join us, and we have resources for you to use. But you're not having to go through the process of like getting school boards to approve your curriculum or like recruiting teachers yourself. You're basically kind of an open source information supplier. Yeah, all of our information is rooted in science. So we work with scientists for it and academics and the information is accessible for anyone. We are working with some school districts like Los Angeles Unified School District, but it takes such a long time to get education mandatory in curriculums and we don't have that time to wait for it. And so getting it accessible right now. So you're just basically doing an end run around the broken school system. It's not doing the education properly. You're just doing it yourself and then making it available and people are grabbing it and running with it. Exactly. Do you have grandparents? Uh, I do have grandparents. Do they like what you're doing or no? Yeah. My grandpa actually follows me on Twitter and actually he let me have his vote in the 2020 election. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah. He let me um, choose what candidate to vote for. 
but not necessarily, none of my family had ever done any activism before. So when I had the idea to get involved and like go school striking, I brought the idea and my mom just kind of laughed. <laughs> like we both started laughing about it because the idea was so absurd. And I understand that anyone who's never been protesting, the idea to do it seems just so foreign. And so really once you get involved, sometimes it can take you by storm and it can become much easier than it looks to be. And so um, my parents are very supportive of what I do and so are my siblings. They love seeing all my posts and supporting me. So it's really nice to have family who um, supports what you're doing. And I think that more parents have to, but at the same time, I think that there's a lot of girls who are educating their parents. And the reason I say that is because there was a study that came out recently that said that teenage girls were the ones who are pushing their parents to vote for climate candidates. And so that's because they're going to them and telling them that this is important. And so, you know, we're making our parents also get involved in this. My name is Kevin Mutai, age 25, and I'm from Kenya in a place called Soy, near Eldoret Town. For me, the way I became a climate activist, in my childhood, I live in one of the like poorest, dangerous slums in Kenya, known as Kibera. Living in the, in the Kibera side is very, very dangerous, sewage, uh, pollution, and a lot of those things. So through that, that's the time I decided to start slowly by slowly, started one of the environmental club in my village because you knowing the village people do not understand very well what is climate change and other things. During that time, my grandmother was also able to take care of me because of financial issue. So he decided to give me to one of the church uh, orphanage near to the church. That church is the one who paid for me a, a fees to join medical school. So through medical school, that is the time I was able to access to phone to understand very well climate change and other things. The time I finished my college, I decided not to continue with the dealing with medical thing, but I graduated in 2018. And it was not easy for me because most people who paid for me fees, they say, like, you're confused. Why leaving this job and going to the street, trying to make a lot of noise, even including some of my relatives? So I wanted maybe to have, like, a education tool, try to educate this kid and other people in my community more about climate change. You have such an unlikely story being a, an orphan kid in Kibera slum in Kenya, probably one of the toughest places in the world. You wind up in medical school, you do well, and at some point you make a decision to become a protester and not a surgeon or something like that. Help me understand why you made that decision. I made that decision because during my childhood, I remember very well, and also I've been trying to visit Kibera. People there are suffering, and, and they're suffering because of this pollution. That's why I decided to quit this so that I can try to educate also the world and also more people what people in Kibera they are facing, especially little children and girls. You still want to be a healer. Yeah. You're just trying to be a healer at a bigger level. Mm -hmm. And you're still using all your scientific background, but rather for an individual person, you're using it for the whole planet. And your relatives think you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. Most of them, they didn't believe. In a, even one of the people, they were saying, I think our son is now confused. Yeah, maybe he has tried maybe to use some, some heavy drugs because I was the only activist in, in my area. You're here at COP26, people here from all around the world, presidents, prime ministers, billionaires, activists, indigenous people. What did you come here to offer? The time we were in this COP, we wanted these people, especially from COP leaders, to hear our voice because other COP, it was just talking, talking, talking. That's why we came up with this COP to tell them, I think it's now time for them to act because as youth, we are tired, yeah. 
most of us, especially from most affected area, we are the one who are suffering. We are the one who are suffering. Talking about Kenya right now, people are suffering. That's why we came in this to, to attend this COP. Yeah. Nations that are close to the equator are going to be hit first and worst, but have often contributed the least to the problem. Uh, the people of Madag- Madagascar uh, who are suffering, um, trying to eat ants and grass just to live because the drought is so severe, they didn't contribute all this pollution that's heating up the planet. In fact, they have benefited very little, but they're suffering a great deal. And uh, I, I find it very interesting. Your generation seems to have a, a very global perspective, those of you who are engaged in activism, concerned about indigenous people, concerned about people from the global south, concerned about people who are suffering. And there's a sense of injustice that these communities are suffering so much, being helped so little, and yet have, haven't really been a part of the causing the problem. Yeah, yeah. So, and the reason why I can say even during the U.S. president, the former president, Barack Obama, he was able to invite a year to speak on one of the, I think, one of the sessions. I remember very well in 2009, Obama promised very well that global North country and U.S. are going to give around 100 billion shillings to this global South country, which have been affected by climate change. But up to now, that promise has never been made. Yeah, and you know, the way you have said that uh, country from global South, they are the one who are emitting less. Africa, it has made like 3%. And we know country like US and China, they are the one who are leading in emitting those carbon. And they have never been maybe taking action, try maybe to see how they are going to help country. They're in Africa by providing loss and damage money. Country in Africa, they need this loss and damage money to sustain and to help them maybe to try to prevent this kind of disaster to happen in future. We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. Well, I'm working to do my part to try to do something about climate change. I've put a big chunk of my life energy into this cause. But even long after I'm gone, God willing, these young people are still going to be working to heal some of the damage we've done to the earth and to come up with better solutions so we stop doing so much damage going forward. I'm really grateful I had a chance to talk to them. I hope that after you hear their voices, you want to do what you can to support young people in your community in whatever cause moves you. If you're looking for a place to start, you can think about plugging into some of the organizations that these young people are leading. Fridays for Future is one, Earth Uprising is another, and One Up Action is another one. So, you know, look them up, help these young people. I think that they are some of the reasons that you can have hope that tomorrow can be better than yesterday. That's it for this week's Uncommon Ground. I'm Van Jones. Thanks for listening. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Alex John Burns, 
Seven McDonald, Drew Schwindeman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen, Vanessa Redbert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jockerman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Murder on My Mind, a new podcast available exclusively on Wondery Plus, explores the circumstances leading up to the murder of two young men and the mistrials of the man accused of killing them. Up-and-coming rapper YNW Melly gained notoriety in the hip-hop world for his shocking lyrics and criminal exploits. When two of his best friends were gunned down in a drive-by shooting, investigators suspected the young rapper staged the scene. But after not one but two trials that ended in hung juries and new evidence that may place YNW Melly at the scene of the crime, his trial has been paused indefinitely. With countless twists and turns, Law and Crime covers all angles of the case and begs the question, is this young artist the victim of a witch hunt or a silver-tongued devil who's evil to the core? Listen to Murder on My Mind exclusively and ad-free on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.